You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Prince or Popper, Part 1. Enjoy. Well, i got to let you in on a little inside scoop. Last year, actually, well, it goes back a number of years, but things became, became clear last year. I, I want you to know that um, God has a word for you. And he has a, not only a financial system, but he has a system of getting his word to you. And that is through the local church primarily. There's a number of other ways through ministries. But the local church is, is one of God's primary vehicles to bless you and to encourage you. And uh, last year, actually this, this time last year, almost a year ago, as we were seeking the Lord, there was a major change in our lives. We were serving on staff at a church in Faith Christian Center, and, and we resigned from that and uh, prayed to seek the Lord as to what our, our next step would be in our lives. And it uh, took a lot of time to pray and seek him, and he really put it on our heart that, that his calling on our lives to this area um, was sure and was strong and to go forward in that, not to go to another area of the country. And so we, we said, yes, Lord, and we continued to seek him. And boy, he began to put the, the, the purpose, the vision for the church, the name of the church in our hearts. And I, I'm saying that because I want you to know a lot of preparation and seeking the Lord goes in to our time together. And I got so excited this week because of what the Lord put in my heart to share with you. He wants to strengthen you and encourage you. And I, I wish I could say that every church you go to, you'll hear who you are in Christ and you'll hear the fullness of the gospel and what God has done for you through Christ. But in reality, that's just not the case right now. But that's, the, that's what this church is all about. We, we want to remove the religious veils and the barriers between you and Jesus. We want you to know him personally in a very real way, free from man's theology, free from man's religious tradition, but to walk with him in your own life. And we don't want anything to get between you and his promises for you. So I encourage you to come on Sunday mornings expecting to hear from God, expecting to receive what you need from God. And I know that he will meet you. As this is this is a team effort. Okay? We're not rely we're not looking to me uh, for strength and encouragement. We're looking to the Holy Spirit together. So he's got a calling on my life to minister the word and Jennifer's life and, and our family to do what we're doing. But there's a calling on your life. You're a part of the body of Christ. You're a member of the body of Christ. So as we come together expecting, the Holy Spirit will minister to us corporately. And that's what we're doing right now. Ed, would you pull up 1 Peter chapter 2? verses 9 and 10. We're starting a new series today, and we're going to talk about the new birth. Something I had no idea what it was growing up, but being born again. What in the world is that? Understanding what it means to be born again, and then living in the reality of that. Okay? And we're going to start by looking at a scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 9, this was written to believers. Now, you've probably all heard the, ter the term born-again Christian, right? Well, it's really a redundant term. It's not a, a term you see in the Scriptures. In, according to Jesus, we must be born again. And then in order to be a Christian, you must be, you must be born again. So if I'm not born again, I'm not a Christian, according to the Scriptures. And if I'm born again, I'm a Christian. So I, there's no need to say born-again Christian. I'm either born again or I'm not. I'm a Christian or I'm not. But this letter that Peter wrote was written to people who were born again, to believers. And you can read the whole letter on your own. But in chapter 2, he's talking to those who are born again, and he says, you are a chosen 
race. A royal priesthood. Did you know you were royalty? And holy nation. Did you know you were holy? You're chosen, you're royal, and you're holy. A purchased people. Wow. That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at the next verse. Wow. That you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at the next verse. Which in time past were not a people. There's a time when we were not born again. But are now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy, but now have mercy. So we're, we, there was a time I didn't know Jesus. I did not declare Jesus to be Lord of my life. I was not chosen. I was not royal. I was not holy. I was not purchased. But when I accepted Jesus Christ, I became chosen. I became royal, became holy and purchased, and you did too. So the title of this series is called Prince or Pauper. Prince or Pauper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the matchless power of your word that is in us now. We thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to mold us and shape us and change us and bring us in to the abundant life that your son Jesus came to give us. We open our ears and we open our eyes and we set our hearts and our minds on you. Change us and lead us forward in your destiny for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Prince or Pauper. How many are familiar with the story, The Prince and the Pauper? How many know that story? Anyone know who wrote it? Real famous guy. Mark Twain. Yeah, Mark Twain wrote it. Yeah, my family and I just watched the 1962 Disney film version of it, and I, I enjoyed it. Uh, the kids fell asleep, but I thought it was good. <laughs> it was good, but it's a fun story. In the story of The Prince and the Pauper, you've got two babies that are born. One baby is born in the palace. He's the son of the king. The other, they're born on the same day, and they look a lot alike. And the other baby is actually born out in the slums of London. And his dad is not the king. His dad is actually a thief. So these two babies are born. One's father is the king. The other father, the pauper, who's born in the slums of London, his father is actually a thief. And in the movie, the, the father actually murders a priest. So his, his father is not a good father. But it, the story picks up when they're about maybe 12, 13, 14 years old, would you say, somewhere in there? And they show the prince in the palace, and he's got the staff around him, and he's got all of his, uh, the people waiting on him, and his teachers and instructors, and he's thinking, man, wouldn't it be nice if I could just leave the walls of the palace and go out and play in the mud and do things that other kids do? And he's just longing to do some, some fun things that he really doesn't have a chance to do. He's got to study Latin. He's got to be abreast of the affairs of state. And then you've got the pauper living in, in, in total poverty, thinking, what would it be like to be royalty, to live in the palace, to be the prince, and to have everything you could ever want? And, and he talks with his mom one day, and she tells him that he can, you know, he can go to the palace and look in the gates, and maybe he'll see the prince. And so he decides to do that. He goes to the palace gate, and he peeks in the gate, and lo and behold, the prince is in the courtyard. And as he's doing that, one of the guards throws the pauper down on the ground. And, and the prince sees it, and he runs to the gate, and he, he's, he asks him to get up, and he commands the guards to let this boy in. And he invites him into his private chambers to have a private meal with him. And the pauper's just in awe. I'm going to have, you know, lunch with the, with the soon-to-be king. And they go in his private chambers, and they can't help but noticing how much they look like each other. 
and they're just staring at each other and talking. And the prince gets an idea. He says, let's trade places. You put on my clothes, I'll put on your clothes. And they'll think I'm a pauper. I'll be able to leave the palace and go and play with the other kids. And the pauper doesn't want to do it. He thinks that's crazy. But the prince commands them to do it. He says, I, I command you. And so they do it. They trade clothes. And the, the prince now has on rags. He gets some soot out of the fireplace and messes up his face. And, and the, the pauper's got the royal robes of the, the son of the king on. And they're standing there looking at each other in the mirror. They haven't changed on the inside, but on the outside they sure look different. Right? You wouldn't recognize. You wouldn't know who is who. And so the, the, so the prince says to the pauper, he says, okay, you just stay in my private chambers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over the wall of the palace. I'll be back in a few hours. No one will ever know what happened. Well, it doesn't work out that way. The, the prince goes out into town as a pauper. People think he's a pauper. The way he looks, he looks like a pauper. And, and, and they think he's crazy because he doesn't actually say that he's a pauper. And one thing that I noticed in the story is neither, neither one of the boys forgot who they were. They were very conscious of who they really were. And when people asked this, this prince who was out dressed as a pauper who he was, he told them he was the prince. And they laughed and thought he was crazy. But one thing they noticed about him is that he carried himself differently than the other children. And he spoke differently. He had an authority in his voice, even though he was in rags. And he had a confidence about him. And then the time goes on, and the prince's father, the king, dies. And he's still out in town in rags. And he realizes the joke has gone way too far, that if he doesn't get back to the palace and take his rightful place, the kingdom can be lost. The pauper, on the other hand, he's totally unfamiliar with royalty. He doesn't know how to talk. He doesn't know what to do. He's saying all these stupid things, and the staff of the king is just like, he's lost his mind. But what's interesting about that is even though he's acting foolish, saying stupid things, they do not reject him because of who his father is or who they think his father is. They think his father's the king. So basically, whatever he says, they say, yes, sir, right? So it turns out that the, the prince does return to the palace. And they come back, and he does become the rightful king, and he's coronated. And then he uses his authority for the pauper, because the pauper had, had character. And, and he elevates that pauper. He said, you're not going to be a pauper anymore. You're going to be my private, the king's ward. And he brings his mother into the palace as well. And it's a, it's a fun story. Um, but the, the main difference between the prince and the pauper was what? What was the main difference? What made the prince a prince and the pauper a pauper? Anyone know? Who their father was. Absolutely. That was it. The prince was born of the king, born of the seed of the king. The pauper was born of a thief and a murderer. Okay? So who their father was. Now, I didn't know this before I started reading the Bible. and This might sound kind of shocking to you. But we only have two options for a father in this life. Either God can, is our father or Satan is our father. Isn't that shocking? That's shocking because growing up you hear songs and the world says, we're all God's children, you know, and, and, and doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, we're all uh, God's children. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches there are only two, two groups of people, his children and those who are not his children. 
okay? Let's look at this in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, stay with me. But there is a striking difference between Jesus and every other human being that ever lived. And the difference we see as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the way that he carried himself. He spoke with authority and confidence, and everyone recognized it. Some of them didn't like it, but they knew that he was walking in an authority that was greater than what they had seen before. And in John chapter 8, we're going to read starting in verse 23. We've got it on the screens, or you can follow along in your Bible. Jesus is talking. He says to them, look at this. You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Big difference between he and us, right? You see that? He's he's saying there's a difference between you and me. Verse 24. Therefore, because I'm not of this world, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. Now, do you see how that's written up there on the screen? I don't know how it says it in your translation, but the am maybe is lowercase, and it says I am he. That in the Greek, the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek. It doesn't say that. It says the same thing that it says in the verse of 58, just I am. We're going to see that in verse 58. In other words, he says, if you do not believe that I am. When Moses asked God what, what he sh- who sent him, who should I tell the Egyptians sent him, what did God say to him? I am that I am. That's what Jesus is saying here. You'll die in your sins unless you believe that I am. He is not in the Greek. I want you to know that. He says this phrase three times we're going to see. Unless you believe that I am, the same I am that sent Moses to the Pharaoh. Okay? Verse 25. Then they said to him, who are you? Hmm, Just told him. And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. He's been saying it over and over again. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know, there's that same phrase again, that I am, not I am he, that I am. The same God that sent Moses to Pharaoh. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. So now we see the reason for his confidence. He knew who his father was. It reminds me of the prince when he was out in town. He, he, doesn't, he didn't look princely, Jesus, when he was on the earth. He laid down his glory. He looked like you and me. But he knew who his father was. And it gave him an authority and a confidence that was out of this world. All right. Uh, where were we? Verse 29. And he said, he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. Verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, look at this, if you abide in my word. That word in the Greek is logos. It means the total embodiment of who I am. Okay, the full embodiment of God. If you abide in my logos, my word, you are my disciples indeed. 
and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, that's a phrase that the world uses, you know, that the truth will make you free. But we see here in these, in this, these uh, two verses, 31 and 32, the truth does not automatically make you free. It doesn't. Okay? Let's look at verse 31 again. Okay? He says that if you abide in my word. Wow. So the God's word, we said this at the beginning of service or during, during worship, everything begins and ends with the word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Psalm 138, verse 2, I've exalted my word above all my name. So nothing is more important to God than his word. That is how he operates. That's how he'll operate in your life. It is imperative that we learn his word. Learning and knowing the Word of God, internalizing. I'm not talking about memorizing the whole Bible. I'm talking about His promises. Learning the promises. Learning about who you are in Christ and what He's done for you. Knowing that enables God to move in our lives in ways that He could not move otherwise. Okay, so His Word is paramount in our relationship with Him as Father. Okay, and then he says, if, so if you abide in my word, this is a powerful word, this abide. Some translations say continue. It literally means to live in, to continue or live, abide in a state of, to abide in a given state of relationship or expectancy. So let's read that in context, okay? If you live... If you continue in this state of relationship and expectancy with my word. He is the word, right? John 1.1. 1, 1. Say that again. If you continue in this state of relationship and expectancy with my word, you are my disciples. So being a disciple is all about staying in the word. Developing a relationship with the Word. Now, the Bible is the written Word, right? But someone can take this from me and throw it in the ocean. It wouldn't change anything. This is just pen and paper, right? Ink and paper. Jesus is the written Word, but this written Word represents the very promises and will and, and Spirit of God, okay? So when I learn this and I continue in this, I become His disciple, and I grow in relationship with Him. And as I see the promises that God has made to me, expectancy yeah. begins to grow in me. Yeah. And as I continue in that state of relationship and expectancy in the Word, right, then I experience the joy of knowing Him, the discipleship. Let's move on to the next verse. And then you'll know the truth. See? It starts with the Word. And as a result of continuing in this relationship, of expecting to receive from his word and his promises, you know the truth, and the truth makes you free. Do you see the flow there? So it all starts with the word, living in the word. Living in the word, living in relationship with Jesus Christ. Studying his promises and expecting them to be made real in your life. And as you do that, freedom begins to burst from the inside of you to the outside, and you become really and totally free. So good. Now, 
Um, in the last verse there, 32, he says, you shall know the truth. That's the same word, that K-N-O-W, that he used in John 17, 3, when he said, this is eternal life, that they might know you. It's, a, it's an idiom that refers to the way in which a husband knows his wife. He's talking about oneness with God. You shall become one with the truth. You'll know the truth as a husband knows the wife, and the truth will make you free. All right. Didn't Jesus say he's the way, the truth? Yes, and the life. So he wants us to be one with him, to be in relationship with him. Let's keep reading. Verse 33. So they answered him, hey, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? They're getting mad now, right? Verse 34, Jesus answered him, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Wow. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free... You shall be free indeed. When the prince said to the pauper, you're not a pauper anymore. You're coming to live in my palace. He was no longer a pauper. That's what Jesus done. When the son makes you free, you're free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word, there's the word again, has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father. You see his source of strength and confidence? His father. And you do what you have seen with your father. Uh-oh. He's saying they don't have the same father. Wow. How shocking must this have been? They answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. It's good to read the Bible, isn't it? Yeah. Verse 41, let's keep reading. You do the deeds of your father. Oh, man. Then they said to him, we're not born of fornication. Them's fighting words, right? We have one father, God. Now, these were the chosen people, right? These were the descendants of Israel, right? And he's saying your father, well, he didn't say that yet, but he's going to say it here in a minute. But he's saying your father's not my father. He's about to tell them who their father really is. Then they said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, which they were claiming, but it was untrue, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. 43, why do you not understand my speech? I'll tell you why. Because you are not able to listen to my word. Here we go, verse 44. This is the kicker. Ooh. You are of your father, the devil. I just would have liked to have seen the look on their face when he was talking to them. This is Jesus talking. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Verse 46, which of you convicts me of sin? And I will tell the truth 
Why do, and if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So now they're saying his father's the devil, right? Just turning it back on him. With a real, real, real uh, fathers, please stand up. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. See, you have confidence when you know who your father is. doesn't matter what people say about you. You have confidence because you know God is your father. They can mistreat you. They can accuse you. They can say all kinds of things to you, but it matters not. You're confident, right? My father, and you dishonor me, verse 50, and I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. That's his father. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Oh, that was it. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham's dead. The prophets are dead. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who's dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father. How many times has he said father in there? Huh? Yeah. Quite a bit, right? This was his frame of reference yeah. in his life. God is my father. And so it should be ours if you know Jesus. Right? If I want my honor is nothing, it is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. Woo, call him a liar now. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Was Abraham living right then when Jesus was talking? Uh-uh. Long time before Jesus, right? Long, 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 long time. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? You're crazy. Right? Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's the third time he said, I am. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Not only was God the Father, uh, Jesus' Father, but he was God himself. It's amazing. So apart from Christ... If you have not declared Jesus the Lord of your life, you could go to church seven days a week, give all your money to the church. You can pray 24 hours a day. You can do uh, good deeds nonstop. But if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, Satan is your father. It's very important to understand that. Because the, the world, religion is trying to do right. Religion's trying to get back to God. If I can just, you know, do sin less, if I can do more right things, I'll have a better chance of knowing God. <laughs> Impossible. Religion will never get you there. You can't do enough right things for God to become your father. Something supernatural has to happen. You have to be born again. See, Christianity is not about doing a bunch of right things. It's about knowing God as your Father. 
every one of us were born paupers. We were all born in sin. Let's look at this in Romans chapter 3. Apart from Christ, Satan is our father, and every one of us was born in sin. Verse 19, Romans chapter 3. And this again was written to those who were born again in Rome. The Apostle Paul wrote this to believers, to disciples, to Christians. He said, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law. The law can't make you righteous. Can't get, there's, no, there's no answer there. All the law does is show us that our desperate need for Jesus Christ. That's all the law can do for us. It's our tutor to lead us into relationship with Christ, right? Uh, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Look at verse 22. Even the very righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To who? To all and on all who do everything right. No? no? Are you there, E? Who believe? There you are. Yeah. On all who believe. For there is no difference Look at verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. But look at verse 24. All of us have been justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, right, the payment and full pleasing of, of the penalty by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, verse 26, to demonstrate that he might be just and the justifier of the one who, of, we, of which one? The one who has faith in Jesus. This is open to every human being. God's love is unconditional, but His salvation and promises are not. There is one condition. You believe in Jesus Christ. One condition. That's it. That's it. Important to know that. So anyone from anywhere, regardless of what nation they're from, regardless of what sins they've committed, by simply putting their faith in Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, can go from being a pauper to a prince in a moment. Become a brand new person on the inside. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, let's put that up there, Eden. Verse 7, he said, don't marvel, don't be amazed at this, that I said to you, you must be born again. This is not a religious thing. This is simply the reality of our need. Okay? Satan was our father. I say was because, because we're, I'm in Christ, and most of us here, I think, are in Christ, right? He was our father. 
in order for our condition to change, we had to change fathers. It wasn't based on obeying the law. It wasn't based on how many good things we did, how many prayers we prayed. We needed a new father. And the only way that could happen was through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And what activates that is faith in Jesus Christ. We must be born again. We must change families to go from, the, from Satan's family, from, from the one who was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, to the king's family, who, who never did anything wrong, who's pure and holy, the one who is love, the one who's just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus Christ. So we believe that Jesus is I am. Let's look at one more scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to look at this one in three translations. Powerful scripture. So if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, and you believe that he, was, he is the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead, that means you've been born again, and Satan is no longer your father. Look at verse 13 of Colossians chapter 1. It says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Let's look at those same scriptures in the Living Bible. The Living Bible translation. For he has rescued us out of the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son who bought our freedom with his blood and forgave us all our sins. And in the movie, The Prince and the Pauper, the pauper's father was nasty. He murdered a priest. He beat his son. He mistreated his, his wife. And it was such a relief at the end of the movie to see him be rescued from that evil father and be brought into the king's yes, palace. Yes. And that's what God has done. through. He's rescued us from our evil father, from the one who wanted to steal from us, kill us, and destroy us. And he brought us in to the kingdom of his beloved son. And he has now become our shield. Hallelujah. One more translation, the message translation. It said, God rescued us from, from dead end alleys and dark dungeons from the slums, right? And he set us up in the kingdom of the son he loves so much. Verse 14, the son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. Christ holds it all together. Amen. Amen. And we're just getting started on this series. We just wanted to lay a foundation so that you understand how important it is to be born again. And that if you are born again, God is just as much your father as he is Jesus' father. That everything that Jesus had available to him when he walked the earth, you have available to you. The same strength the same wisdom, the same anointing, the same power, the same righteousness, the same, the same spirit, the same word. And everything changes when you begin to realize that. And you no longer see yourself as a sinner, 
as, as someone who's lost, but you realize now I've been brought into the kingdom. I am God's very own child. And everything that my father has, he's given to me. Amen. And that we have a relationship with God now that is unhindered. And that when he looks at you through Christ, he sees his very own child. That you have become the very heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. That we have been seated with Christ, it says in Ephesians, at God's very own right hand. All right? We're going to go deeper in this next Sunday. And when you begin to realize that you have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, fear will go from your life. There won't be a, 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 a worry or anxiety that can attach itself to you. There won't be a sickness or disease that will be allowed to operate in your life when you get a revelation of who your Father is and who you are in Him. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we, we, your word is alive and powerful and operating in this place right now. And I thank you. Let your word grow in us. Lord, let the reality of our need for you, the reality of who we are through faith in your son, Jesus Christ, let that grow strong in us now that everyone who has named the name of Jesus and put their faith in you would leave here today with a confidence, knowing they are not sinners saved by grace. They were sinners, but now they're saved by grace. Now they're your sons and daughters. Now they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now they are the heirs of your throne. They are the co-heirs with Christ, that you are their father and they are your children. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God becomes your very own Father. You're delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. As God's very own child, go through each day fully relying on your Father for the strength, wisdom, and provision you need. In Jesus' name, amen.